Today is another day of baptism. We have had a number of these throughout the COVID pandemic, and uh, this appears to be the last Sunday we will be doing this uh, during what we might call the, the brunt of the COVID pan pandemic. And for this, we praise God that there has been a trickle of people who have come to know Christ uh, during this season and at other times. Jesus said in Matthew 28 that we are to go into all the world and we are to make disciples of all nations. This concept of making a disciple of Jesus Christ is an important one. And perhaps the best way to define what a disciple is, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and who is also committed to the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. And that mission, of course, is to go on making disciples among people of all the nations. Jesus then said that once a person comes to Christ, they become a disciple of Christ, that we are to baptize them. And we're to baptize them in the name of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we are to teach them to observe or to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. Our teaching then is not just filling people's heads with doctrinal truths, but our it is that, but it is more than that. It is teaching them to obey, and it's training them, equipping them, developing them to live a life that pleases God. We have six individuals today who are going to be baptized. Uh, four of them are here on the, on the platform now, and another two will happen at 11 o'clock. Each of them have come to know the Lord. Each of them has a wonderful story to share on how they became a disciple of Jesus Christ. So I ask you now to open not only your ears to them, but your hearts to them as they introduce themselves to us and share their stories with us. Good morning, church. My name is Paul Alakaloko. I am from Nigeria. I was born into a Catholic family. I was baptized as an infant. Later on, I joined the Word of Faith Prosperity Gospel Movement because they promised me an attractive Jesus. Jesus who will solve all my problems and help me achieve my dreams. In the prosperity gospel, I was baptized again, but I was not born again. The prosperity gospel said, we should serve this Jesus, live holy, so that this Jesus will in exchange bless us and help us achieve our dreams. So I modified my behavior to please this Jesus in exchange for his blessings. In all of this, I did not hear the gospel and I did not repent of my sins. Fast forward, in 2013, I relocated to the US and my first shock was that I don't need to serve this prosperity Jesus or modify my behavior to achieve my dreams. So I went fully into the world. I won't say I forgot the Lord Jesus because it was never my Lord. It was never the Lord of my life in the first place. Why I was lost? I was still going to the church, but I was lost. And I was even made a leader in the church, and I was lost. Here's my conversion story. My conversion in 2015, I got married to my wife, who is here with me to be baptized today. 
But the possibility of her joining me in the US was getting more and more difficult. So in 2017, I was tired of the delay. Then I said I would try Canada. In April of 2018, I relocated to Nanaimo, BC. My first Sunday in BC, I attended the first Baptist church in Nanaimo, which was my first time in a Baptist church in North America and the second time in a Baptist church in my life. But that was a, that was a day that changed my story. The pastor was teaching on the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. As he was explaining verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. When I heard the pastor teaching on this verse, I was very hungry. I hated him. It made me see how sinful I was. I had so many struggles within me that I felt ashamed of myself. But the pastor continued in verse 4 to 6, which says, The struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not, do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastens everyone he accepts. And suddenly, my eyes were opened to the purpose of the struggles within me. It was like a scale fell off my eyes and I began to see God's love in a different way. The Lord opened my heart to see the struggles within me as a loving call from a loving father. That day, when I got home, I prayed to the Lord Jesus to forgive me, to forgive me of my sins, and to be the Lord and Savior of my life. After that, I began to see proofs of my conversion. After my conversion, I saw that I was gradually developing hatred for the sin I so love. I began to see my love for the scriptures and obedience to his truth growing. And I began to see a passion for sharing my faith. Suddenly, I want to tell everyone what has happened to me. And why do I want to be baptized today? Baptism is a commandment of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a true believer do not debate commandments. A true, a true believer obey commandments. So I want to obey one of the Lord's commandments today. And secondly, why do I want to be baptized today? I was baptized as an infant as a Catholic. I was baptized in the prosperity gospel, but I wasn't converted. In all the references like Pastor John taught us in the membership class, in all the references to baptism in the book of Hacked, the progression has always been conversion before baptism. So now that I'm converted, I want to be baptized. And this is my favorite scripture that has meant so much to me. For it, that is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. Good morning, West Island. Good morning, West Island. My name is Lydia Alakaloko. I'm a Nigerian. I was born into a Baptist family. I was raised by God-fearing parents. I've been a church girl all my life, active in church programs, and all along have been deceiving myself into thinking that I'm saved. I have done things I'm not proud of. All through this period, I felt deadness within me, and this affected every area of my life. When I moved to Canada to join my husband, he told me how he met God, because he had been living in lies too. Shortly after that, he started a Bible study group with his friends. One day he asked the question, what have you heard that makes you believe that you are born again? Because many of us Nigerians are into prosperity gospel. I kept pondering on that question. Then I asked him to explain to me what it really means to be born again. He used 1 Corinthians 15 to explain it to me until I have clear understanding. Then one day I sat down and confessed my sins to God and promised to follow him for the rest of my life. Since then, I have fresh joy. Prayer is no longer a burden for me. My hope and strength are renewed in Christ. I want to be baptized today so I can be identified with the death and resurrection of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to obey his command. I want to live for him. I don't want to be ashamed when he returns. So today, I say in front of you all with the wordings of this song, that with every breath I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Kendall Bessemer. I grew up in Ancaster and was raised by my loving parents, Julie and Jeff Bessemer. From a young age, I went to church regularly, and although I loved the church we were at, I felt I wasn't learning as much as I could. I would pray every day that God would make a change to help me learn more about his word. One day, my parents sat me down and explained we were moving to West Highland to help us in our walk with God. I started crying and told them I'd been praying for months for God to make a change so that I could learn more about him. I was taught as a young child that in order to receive Jesus in your heart, you simply have to ask. I remember specifically sitting on my back porch with my dad, asking Jesus to come into my heart and be my savior. That spot has always been the best place for me to talk to God, where I felt most connected and at peace. When I was 15, I was going through a tough time connecting with God. I had this feeling that God didn't even know me or want me. I looked to the sky for God to give me a sign, and at that moment, a swarm of butterflies came around me, making me feel instantly connected. From now on, anytime I see a butterfly, it reminds me of God's love for me, 
and helps me to refocus my mind on what's truly important. I believe I'm saved because Jesus, who lived the perfect life in human form to show us how to live, died on the cross to save me. Jesus is a part of every aspect of my life, and I know that even though I don't deserve his love, God will always be there for me. The reason I'm standing up here this morning is to profess my love for Jesus and to be obedient to his command to be baptized. Nobody has been more there for me or more loving than God has. Being baptized to me means that I'm declaring that I will believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm declaring my desire to live my life to serve God and follow him. I want to be a God-fearing, strong, inspiring Christian. I just recently turned 18, and when thinking about what it means to enter adulthood, making this claim sets me off on the right path. Romans 8.39 tells us neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse gives me hope because I know that as I enter this new phase of my life, God's love will always be there for me, and I pray that it will lead me to bless others and share his word. Thank you. Good morning. Okay, thank you. Good morning. My name is Elias. Today, I'll be sharing my testimony on why I'm taking this courageous step in deciding to get baptized and share my testimony about how Christ saved me with you all. Well, I come from an Assyrian background and was raised up in a, in a religious Christian family. For most of my life, I attended, I attended an, an Anglican church and did not understand the necessity of attending church and did not like to go at all. I found it, I found it pointless and irrelevant. I'm grateful to have grown up in a Christian household and to have been around God-loving friends who have had a great impact in my early Christian life. The road to salvation was a rocky ride. And my previous way of life can only be summarized is that I claimed to be a Christian, but I, but I lived like an atheist. If I had the knowledge that, that there was a God, but cared small about it, little about it, there was always a sense of emptiness. There was always a sense of emptiness deep inside of me that I was longing for, but not, did not know what it was. In years past, in an, in an elementary school, me and my best friend were constantly made fun of and picked on and bullied.
that only fueled my anger in my pursuit for revenge. And by the time I was in high school, my anger turned into unthinkable rage. And later went down to a severe depression that led to suicidal thoughts. In my Christian counseling, I was recommended by the pastor to forgive those who hurt, who hurt me. I immediately brushed off the idea that I would offer forgiveness to anyone who inflicted pain or hurt me in any way. I tried traveling to escape the uncomfortable feeling from within. When that didn't satisfy, I tried other worldly things to fill that void. I moved on to shopping, often buying ex expensive designer shoes and clothes. Soon after that, I went down a dark path, smoking and drinking, thinking that was the solution. It only made the situation worse. Not long after that, during the Christmas holiday season, when while in my room, getting ready to go to bed, I heard a voice speak to my heart. saying to me, say a prayer. I never prayed, nor did I know the sinner's prayer at that time. Without hesitation, at that very moment, I accepted Christ into my heart and asked him to change my life. I've never been the same since. As I look back, I now realize that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Soon after that, I started to read the Bible more. And as I started to grow in my Christian life, God's word started to open my heart, it started to change my heart in how I view sin. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Understanding that I do not have to obey certain traditions or do good works in order for me to be saved was a relief. And as Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to give my praise to my Savior, Jesus Christ, who saved me from the power of sin and whom I happily live for. I look forward into the future that he has for me, been accomplishing his plan for my life through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells me. It was not man-made religion that saved me, and but only by the blood of, of Jesus that was shed for a sinner like me. In conclusion, 
the decision for me to get, to get baptized now is a no-brainer. Why have waited long enough thinking that I need to be more mature in my faith, in my faith or reach near perfection, which is not the case? It is another step of obedience after repentance of sin to confess in front of everyone that Jesus is the Lord of my life. He has transformed my life in a way I had previously thought could not have no, could not have been possible. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. It's amazing what God has done in your life and how he's brought you out of darkness into light. You are someone who has dug deep into God's word. You have looked at the prosperity theology that you had imbibed and you realized it was not truth and you are now trusting in the Lord Jesus. Because you have shared your faith with us today and acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, it is our joy now to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for sharing with us as well. It was wonderful to hear both your husband and you share your stories today and how he had a great influence in bringing you to faith in Christ. So because you have publicly testified today that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord, it is our joy to obey the Lord's command and to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. decision or your parents made the decision <laughs> to finally come to West Highland and uh, you have grown in the Lord since that time and uh, we know your parents are thrilled wonderful to hear that your father was there when you prayed to receive Christ and so today because you've testified of that faith that you have in the Lord Jesus it is our joy now to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I remember so many lunch times sitting across one another. So many questions that you had. And I am so overjoyed about you sharing your testimony, hearing your story. And as you continue to explore those questions, I just want to tell you that you are a son of God. He's so pleased with you. You're safe before his presence. The most powerful one will never betray you. Wow. 
so I get to say it. You do. Oh, okay. Because of the profession of your faith, Elias, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning there are six people, four already have been baptized and two will be baptized in just a few minutes. I know many of you may want to watch or listen to, uh, view the baptisms that happened earlier at the nine o'clock service and all of our baptisms will be posted uh, later today so you can have an opportunity to do that. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, after he had showed himself alive, after his suffering and death, uh, said to the men who were following him that they were to go into all the world, they were to make disciples of all nations. And those individuals who came to Christ in all the nations of the world, they were to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they were to teach these new disciples of Christ to obey everything that Christ had commanded them. And so uh, that is what our church is all about. We are in the business of the Great Commission. We're seeking to do exactly what the Lord told us to do. We want to make disciples of people of all nations. A disciple is someone who certainly believes in Jesus and follows Jesus. But a disciple is also a person who is being changed by the Lord Jesus. And a person who is committed to the mission of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And over the course of the past couple of years, there has been a trickle of people who've come to know the Lord. And God has brought to us people as well who have come to know the Lord in different places, and they've decided to make this their church home. What is exciting is that each of them have been touched by God's grace. And so today we want you to hear their stories, and it will be our joy to baptize them in obedience to Christ's command. And so I, I ask you, as these two individuals introduce themselves to us, and then share their stories that you would not only open your ears, but you would open their hearts to them as they share with us. Good morning, everyone. My name is Laura McDonald, and I'd like to share my testimony with you this morning. As a child growing up, my parents believed in God, but it was never practiced, so we never attended a church. My father passed away from a heart attack at 42 years old when I was 13, which left my mom alone with five children, my three younger brothers, myself, and my older sister. We had many struggles as well as grief growing up, and then 10 years ago, I lost my mom to cancer. This was so heartbreaking. As an adult, I believed there was a God, but I never knew him, and life just carried on as I got older, putting my trust in my own abilities for whatever I wanted to achieve. My husband, Terry, is a Christian and was attending church, and even though I attended with him at times, I never experienced the saving grace of God and never put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then suddenly, on January 1st, 2019, around 9.30 at night, we received a call from our daughter-in-law that, that our son, TJ, was on the floor in their apartment, not breathing. We immediately drove to their home to be with 
the kids while her daughter-in-law went with the ambulance to the hospital. Shortly after that, we received the call that our, our son TJ died due to complications. This was devastating and I struggled with why God would take my son at a young age, leaving our grandson without a father. I was hurt, mad, and overwhelmed with grief and this feeling and way of life carried on for some time. My husband Terry started attending West Highland about three years ago, several months from after our son passed, and finally after a while I started to attend with him. Terry and I started attending Grief Share at West Highland, where I found comfort in others sharing their grief, and I could relate to how they were feeling, and over the course of this class, along with making some friends, attending church was part of my life. It wasn't until January, uh, December 6, 2020, that I stayed home from church that day, watching the service online, re realizing as I was listening to God's word being preached and experiencing so much grief that I turned to the Lord and cried out in repentance. And I put my trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. The feelings of coming to Christ with everything that was going on in my life with so many tears were overwhelming, but there was such a sense of peace because of it. I want to honor the Lord now in my life and I'm finding my desire to pray and be in his word, something I do daily. Going to church now and hearing God's word brings an understanding I'll, I'll, I never had. Having the assurance of the Holy Spirit in my life and a love and affection for the Lord is why I'm here today before you, ready to be baptized and proclaim to you that Christ is my Lord and Savior. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Christ is the only way, and I'm thankful to the Lord for his grace and for the gift of faith and salvation. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Rachel. I grew up in Dundrill and attended Christian Reformed Church where I enjoyed attending GEMS, Girls Everywhere Meeting the Savior, and eventually catechism classes. When I was 16 years old, I went with my best friend who grew up in a strong believing home to a Pentecostal youth retreat. After this event, I started pursuing my personal relationship with Jesus. I went to the Gospel Lighthouse and got my first Christian living book called Your Relationship with God by Dr. Gary Smalley. I studied the Heidelberg Catechism and then I professed my faith in front of the CRC congregation. The verse I picked was Ephesians 2, 8, verses 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk with them. Each year I kept growing in my faith and eventually began learning about evangelism when I attended Power to Change Ministries meetings, Bible studies, and retreats. They put great emphasis on Matthew 28, verse 18, which nudged me more towards pursuing baptism. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. While attending university, I attended a Baptist church with my friends and sometimes a CRC church with my grandma and extended family. While attending these different churches, I began to investigate the differences in perspectives on baptism, reading up on doctrine and theology, resulting favoring John Piper as my favorite theologian next to C.S. Lewis. With each passing year, different churches I attended, the nudge to be baptized lingered. I wrestled between the meaning of being immersed versus my verbal confession of faith without immersion. I also struggled with various roadblocks in my life, such as moving from city to city, to not feeling ready or waiting for the right time. And the worst roadblock of all was COVID-19 lockdowns and restrictions. One day I made a decision to stop wrestling and commit to following Jesus' command of immersion baptism as a symbol and expression of my faith in the gospel truths. I had to wait for COVID-19 restrictions to be lifted and God to lead me exactly to this church. God's timing couldn't be more perfect and I'm confident that this is where God wants me to be. This is not a rejection of my previous profession of faith without immersion, and neither a rejection of my parents' faith, but today is a symbol of a declaration of my own faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I wholeheartedly trust that Jesus took my punishment for sin on the cross so that I might receive his reward. Jesus has broken the power of sin in my life and has gifted me the strength to change to be more like him. My life as a believer has been one learning about developing a life of repentance. I'm convicted by many Bible verses that God uses to come me to the heart and give me the desire to turn from sin. Martin Luther says, the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. I respect how God has given me the Holy Spirit as a guide in order to do this. The Holy Spirit has given me the need to seek after who God is and focus on the creator and not the created. The Holy Spirit has also been able to help me grow in trusting God's plan for my life, especially when it hurts. A humorous result of my faith is my expanding bookshelf. The amount of Christian living books on theology, life, dating, doctrine, anything Christian is continuing to expand. Thanks be to God. Laura, I remember that day so clearly when I got a call from your <laughs> hubby that you had come to Christ. Yes. And man, did we rejoice. Now that was an answer to prayer. And now you were united to your hubby, not yes. just physically, but now spiritually. That's right. And he rejoiced in that, we rejoiced in that. And so Laura, on the basis of your request, in obedience to our Lord's command, we baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Rachel, you've not been at West Highland very, very long, but in the short time that you've been here, you have really grown in your faith, and I know you've been meeting with one of our deacons, Heather, and she's been encouraging you and discipling you, 
And uh, just the way you spoke today, uh, it was very revealing to all of us that you really do have a good grasp of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Mm, and so amen. because you have publicly testified today that he is your Savior and Lord, it is our joy to obey his command and to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's good to see everybody. It was back in November of 2018 that I was speaking last during a baptismal service. And during that baptismal service, I proposed to you, well, first I, I must kind of say, you've probably been waiting with bated breath for the last three and a half years for me to expound on what I said back then, right? No. So I said back then that baptism is a symbol, and it's like a diamond. It's got many faces and facets to it, and if you turn it this way or that way, you look at it a little differently, you get more meaning uh, drawn out of it. And today I want to kind of shed a little bit more light on that, take it a little bit further, and look at a couple of more of those little facets or faces. And in our culture, we're surrounded daily by millions of symbols. They're all over the place. And we don't even really kind of realize that they're there. They've just kind of become part of our subconscious. But they do have an impact on us in various degrees. So I have a little quiz for you here that we're going to do. And this is an interactive quiz. Um, so you just shout it out when you know. You only got three seconds, so don't take too long. Oh, go back to the start. Oh, no. We Go back to the start for one sec. All right, there we go. All right, so take a guess. Pepsi. Oh, I messed them up up there. Jordan, good. Ah, some of the older folks, their lips didn't move at all. PlayStation, again, the older folks. Hello, kitty. Ah, the younger folks' lips didn't move that time. <clears throat> Target. There you go. Thank you. You know, the point of that is, is that what I find so fascinating is the names of the companies aren't even in the logo, and yet we know what they are, who they are, what they stand for, what they sell, and all that, and those things influence us when we see them, whether we realize it or not. And each of them carries a little bit of meaning, um, and I think symbols are really kind of necessary for us to kind of navigate life, right? So for example, we have all kinds of simple symbols like road signs, right? Green tells us to go. Red tells us to stop. Yellow tells us to speed up, right? So imagine driving around the city without any of these symbols. It would be, it would be chaotic and it would be much harder. Other symbols have much deeper meanings associated with them. So these symbols can tell stories, they can evoke emotion, rekindle memories. You look at this symbol here. That evokes a certain response in the culture and context of today, doesn't it? 
more so than it did a few weeks ago. As one writer puts it, symbols enable us to access aspects of our existence that cannot be accessed in any other way. So what we witnessed this morning was a symbol. So what is the meaning and significance of the symbol of baptism? To answer this question, we're gonna need to trace a theme that's woven throughout the Bible. There's, there's lots of instances of this. We could spend probably you know, a couple of hours, don't worry, we're not going to. Um, but I have four stories that I wanna share with you that will shed some light on this. And the theme, the theme of these four stories, what holds them together is water. Water specifically as it pertains to God's provision and God's rescue or salvation. So, I want to get on to the first story. If you, have your, if you want to follow along in your Bible, creation is the first story, Genesis chapter 1. We start right at the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we read the following. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hovering over the waters, the Spirit of God, hovering over the waters of chaos that made human life impossible. Then the Spirit, God starts his work of creating by multiple acts of separating. He separates the light from the darkness. He separates the waters above from the waters below. He separates the sea from the dry ground and gathers the dry ground together. And then on that dry ground, he creates a land, a space called Eden, where life can flourish. So Adam and Eve are living there in harmony, everything's good, but it doesn't take long, because you get to Genesis chapter three, and humanity unleashes chaos back into the world by rebelling against God and his authority. This is what sin is, it's rebelling against God, trying to go it alone, be, being the captain of our own ship, and the cancer of sin begins to spread as humanity tries to hide from God in shame, as Cain commits the first murder of his brother, and as a man lame, named Lamech embraces violence and polygamy. As God looks out over this humanity that he's created, his heart is grieved that he created us, and decides that he's gonna bring a catastrophic judgment and wipe us out. This brings us to the second story. It's a famous story in the Bible, Noah's flood. In this story, God decides that he's, he is going to judge the world, but he's going to single out one man and his family of eight, and he's going to spare them. And so he instructs Noah to build an ark this ark takes him 120 years to construct. And in the interim, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He's warning people about this coming judgment and some people mock him and don't believe. Other people think, well, you know what, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe there's a way that we can get out of this on our own. We'll build a, a dinghy. Uh, we'll go up to the top of the mountain. The waters aren't gonna get that high. But anybody who didn't listen to God's instructions to be on the ark was wiped out. 
And after the waters recede, Noah sets, uh, lets a, a dove loose to see if, if the waters have receded because it, it either wouldn't come back, it'd find a landing place, it would bring, and it brings back an olive branch. And he knows now the waters are starting to go down. And out steps Noah and his family to begin huma- humanity 2.0, a new beginning. And this is taking us from judgment to life, from death to life. The third story is another famous story. It's the story of the Exodus, Moses. And this one speaks about uh, taking us from slavery to freedom. 400 years before Moses, the Israelites end up in Egypt because of a famine. They find favor in the eyes of Pharaoh because of Joseph, and they settle down, and over time, they begin to grow very numerous, and the government of uh, Egypt gets nervous. Pharaoh kind of looks out and says, wow, these guys are getting so numerous, maybe they'll overthrow us. They could become problematic. So they enslave the Israelites, and they order that all the baby boys be exterminated. So Moses' mother, not wanting to give up her son, places him in a reed basket. In the Hebrew, it's actually an ark, which is a reference back to Noah's flood. Places him in the Nile River and floats him out in the hopes that somebody will pick him up and his life will be spared. Well, who picks him up? Pharaoh's daughter, and he ends up actually in the palace of Pharaoh himself being raised as one of Pharaoh's sons. God saves Moses through the waters, which is a reference, the New Testament writers would see that as a reference to to baptism. Well, the adults are still being subjugated under slavery, and they start to cry out to God, and God hears their cries and decides he's going to rescue them. And so he brings these 10 plagues of judgment, and Pharaoh finally relents and says, okay, you guys can go, get out of here. The sooner the better. But as they're leaving, he realizes he's given up his entire slave uh, labor market. And so he sends his army back out to recapture them and bring them back. The Israelites come up to the Red Sea. They're hemmed in by the Red Sea and the approaching army. And so Moses calls out to God, and God empowers Moses to part the Red Sea and the Israelites escape through the waters to the other side. And then the waters come in and wipe out the Egyptian army. Again, another reference to baptism. The Israelites are delivered from slavery through the waters. The fourth story I want to share with you is the story of Joshua and the Jordan. Joshua and the Jordan. This one is from homelessness to home. This story picks up a generation after the Exodus. So the first generation goes from, uh, from slavery to freedom. They wander around in the desert, but they're unfaithful and they complain. And so God says, you're not going to enter the promised land. It's going to be the next generation. And the next generation is standing on the precipice of entering into the promised land. The only thing standing in their way is the Jordan River, which isn't insurmountable but they're going to cross the Jordan River into this new home that God has given to them. So the priests have the Ark of the Covenant, and they're going to carry it across. As soon as one of the priests sets foot in the water, it says the water stood up like a wall, and the Israelites were able to pass through the waters into their new home. So again, God provides for his people by bringing them through the waters into their new home. Now, how does this all culminate in the person 
of Jesus. We come to the baptism of Jesus. The baptism is, um, is recorded in all four Gospels. But before we get to his baptism, it really begins with John the Baptist. God calls this guy named John the Baptist to come and to prepare the way for the Messiah, for Jesus. And so how does John prepare the way? Well, he starts to preach about repentance, and he's baptizing the Israelites in the Jordan River as a sign of their repentance and their desire to live a faithful life. Now, this is a very prophetic act. This isn't by accident. By him going to the Jordan, it's really a replaying of the Exodus story. By baptizing people in the Jordan, the people are symbolically saying that they do repent and that they're going to live faithfully. They're going to attempt to live faithfully under God's rule. Eventually, Jesus comes down to the Jordan to be baptized by John, and John says, no, I'm not, bapti- I'm not baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, 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 we need to do this so that all righteousness may be fulfilled. So let's read the passage in Mark 1, 9 to 11 about Jesus' baptism, and then we'll see how this all pulls together these four stories and how they find their ultimate meaning in him. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son In you, I am well pleased. So the first story of creation, there's a reference in this, the heavens open or they split open refers back to the acts of separation at creation. The spirit descending like a dove is is imagery of the Holy Spirit coming down and hovering over the waters. It also has an application to the, the Noah story in the, do, the releasing of the dove by Noah to see if the, the waters had receded. You see, Jesus has come to bring order out of the chaos that we've reintroduced by our sin. He's come to bring order into the world, order into your lives, individually and corporately. Maybe some of you are feeling, you, you know, your life is very chaotic either as, a, as someone who knows Jesus or someone who doesn't. Well, if you don't know Jesus, he can bring order out of your chaos. We've heard that in the stories of the baptisms. Jesus takes your life and he takes the messiness of your life and the disorder and, and the chaos and he brings order and good things out of that. As a believer in Jesus, we just have to realize that that's the truth and align our, our thinking with that. The way Jesus did this, the way he made this possible, was he went to the cross and he took the penalty of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. We all deserve to die an eternal death because we rebelled against God. And when we did this, when our ancestors, ancient ancestors, sinned and rebelled against God, they died spiritually. And then people who are spiritually dead can't give birth to people who are spiritually alive. That's not how it works. That'd be like a, a physically dead person giving birth to someone who's physically alive. It just doesn't work. And so when, they, when Adam and Eve died, it was like a, a branch of a tree being cut off. It still looks like it's alive. They were alive physically still. Now the clock was starting to wind down on them. Right? The, 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 the leaves are still green and, and, and that, but over time it starts to brown and wither, and then you realize, oh yeah, this is dead. 
And for that reason, that's why Jesus says that we need to be born again. We need to be recreated. We need to have new life put into us. And so Jesus is the one who can recreate. I love if you fast forward to the end of Jesus' life after the resurrection, he's been crucified and buried and he's risen from the dead and he's getting ready to go back to heaven to be with the Father. And the disciples are like, no, 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 you can't go. You've got to stay with us. Right? I mean, who wouldn't want it? I would have been saying that, wouldn't you? Don't go, Jesus. I mean, you're it. Stay. And he goes, no, it's good that I go, because if I go, then I'll send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you. See, Jesus was limited in, in, in space because he was confined to a physical body. He could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at the same time. He lives inside of the brothers and sisters in Africa, the same that he lives in, inside you and me. And so he, he goes back, he sends the Holy Spirit who then will come into us and take up residency in our body and like a, a good roommate, he'll start to clean up our, help us to clean up our life and to change us. So one of the things that baptism symbolizes, I think, is found in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The second thing is the flood. You know, in Noah's day, God judged the earth by sending a global flood, and he told us that there is another judgment coming. It won't be by water this time, it will be by fire. And there's going to be people in our day, just as in Noah's day, who say they don't believe that, or they're going to find their own way to kind of get around this. But that's not possible. Those who were not in the ark, who were not in the ark in Noah's day, they perished. And anybody who's not in Christ will perish. Let me say that verse again from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Christ is the new ark. He's the one who can save us through the waters of God's judgment, so to speak. And so we need to be in him in order to be saved. You can't be saved if you're not in the ark. Peter refers to this in 1 Peter 3. He said, you know, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. God's patient. He doesn't want anybody to, to perish. He loves you. He wants you to be in the ark. He wanted everybody to be in the ark. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the New Testament, people saw the flood as a symbol of baptism. God will save you through the waters. The third one, this third story, Moses. God's words to Jesus in his baptism, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased, is an echo of the words that God spoke to Moses about the Israelites in Exodus chapter four. He referred to the Israelite, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased. And so Paul links baptism with the Exodus story in 1 Corinthians 10, where he warns us to learn from the mistakes and avoid the mistakes of the Israelites. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So Jesus is the new Moses. He's the one who leads us out of slavery and bondage to freedom. You know, there may be people here who are listening at home or listening here today. 
You are in bondage. Perhaps you're addicted to pornography. Perhaps you're addicted to alcohol. Perhaps you're addicted to work. Perhaps you're addicted to food, drugs. It doesn't matter what you're addicted to. Jesus is the one who can break the chains of those addictions, of that bondage, and set you free. If you're not a believer in Jesus, he's the one who can make that happen for you. Again, if you are a believer in Jesus, you need to align your thinking with him and take advantage of the resources that he's given you. The last story, Jesus is the new Joshua. In the Jordan, Jesus going down to be baptized in the Jordan is an allusion to the story in in Joshua of crossing into this new home. Now, you may not be physically homeless like the Israelites were wandering around in the desert, right? Maybe you have been homeless. However, I don't think that's really the point. Perhaps you've never had a true home, a place of belonging, of unconditional love, of security. Jesus is the new Joshua that wants to lead you home. And I love what Jesus said when he was returning to the Father. He said, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. That is great news, isn't it? And as the older you get, you realize, I need a home, a permanent home. And so Jesus is the new Joshua that leads us into the new promised land, the new home. So there's other facets of this that we could look at maybe three and a half years from now. We'll get to those. But baptism symbolizes many things. Ultimately, what it is, it's identifying with Jesus. When you get baptized, you're saying, I'm with him. I'm with the guy who's recreated me. I'm with the guy who saved me from death and from judgment. I'm the guy who's going to lead me into freedom and take away my bondage and my chains. I'm with the one who's going to lead me home. That's what really baptism is all about, identifying with Jesus and all that he does for us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have done all this for us. We deserve nothing. And yet you have recreated us. You've led us out of slavery. You've led us out of judgment. You've brought us into a place where we have a a secure future. And so we thank you and praise you. I pray if anybody here does not have those things, that they would call out to you You said anybody who looks to Jesus will be saved. That they'd call out to you, place their faith in you, and that they would experience all that goes with knowing you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to be seated, please, for just a moment. I want to share a number of things with you this morning that I think will be of import to everyone here. Uh, First of all, thanks to Pastor Chris for sharing with us this message on baptism this morning. And I just want to underscore that if you are here today and you have never put your faith and trust 
in Jesus Christ the way the people who were baptized have. And God's message is spoke to you today. It would be a joy for us, for Chris, for me, any of our pastors. We'll be available up here at the front after worship. If you would like to come and speak to us about believing in Christ or about being baptized, it would be our delight to share with you today. Please don't hesitate to do so. The other thing I wanted to say was that at the nine o'clock service, there was a brother and his wife from Nigeria, Paul and Lydia Alakoloko, who were baptized. And uh, Paul mentioned in his testimony that when he was out in Nanaimo, BC, he heard the gospel there in a Baptist church on Gibbs Island. And, um, and then someone in our church who he knows, another fellow from Nigeria, um, encouraged him to watch our Sunday morning broadcast. And it was during the Exodus series that he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? So I share that with you. Amen. I, I share that with you today because we wonder at times, is the broadcast ministry having an impact on people? And it surely is. So we praise God for that. Um, the next thing I want to say is that at midnight tonight, the mask mandate in Ontario is over. <laughs> I knew some people would clap. And... Uh, we know that COVID is not yet over, but hospitalization numbers are down. Um, people in the ICU, uh, those numbers are down. And so I think what this means for us as a church, it means several things. First of all, we need to thank God that we are seeing an end to this two-year-long period. Amen? Secondly, when you come here next Sunday morning, you are free not to wear a mask. We have no mask mandate in place here at the church. We were just simply following the government regulations that were in place. Also, next Sunday morning, when you come, you are free to wear a mask should that be what you would like to do. We understand that many are still not comfortable yet. There are others who have health concerns. And so we want you to understand you're free to come and wear a mask or not wear a mask. And, and friends, there will be no judgment whatsoever one way or the other. No criticism, no, no reason for you to feel uneasy or uncomfortable at all in terms of what someone else might be doing or what you are doing. You are free to not wear a mask or to wear a mask. And this is really in keeping with what we talked about just over a year ago in April, or just less than a year ago in April, when I preached to you from Romans chapter 14. I don't know, you probably don't remember. If you can't remember Chris's message from three and a half years ago, maybe you would remember what I said a year back. But in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul talks about brothers and sisters in Christ who for reasons of conscience have different opinions. And Paul makes it clear that we are to accept one another regardless of what those opinions might be. We're, not, we're to be sensitive to the needs of others, and we are not to judge others for what their personal position might be. So keep that in mind. That's the spirit by which we want to continue to operate in the coming months, and we trust that in time we will see our full church family restored to us. Some of you are here again for the first time in a very long time. I was able to greet some people after the um, 9 o'clock service who have not been here in over two years, and what a delight it was to re-fellowship with them. So thank God for that. One final thing to share with you today, and I want to read to you from a letter. 
This pertains to our special offering today for the, U, the Ukraine. This is for ref, refugees who are being settled in Poland and in other East European nations, and as it, as it seems, uh, even here in Canada and other places. The reason why we're receiving this offering today is I know that many of you have been just, um, I don't know, I'm not sure what word to use. We have been deeply affected by what we have seen. And we know that there are wars and rumors of wars all over the world. But because we are a a nation that belongs to NATO, because our roots are in the Western world, what is happening in the Ukraine has perhaps affected us like nothing else since the Second World War. And many of us want to respond and we want to do something in some way in order that we can help. The letter I have in my hands comes from Steve Jones. He is the president of our Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches, and he's writing about the project that we are giving to today under the auspices of FAIR, which stands for Fellowship Agency in Relief. It is the social justice, social concern arm of the mission of our churches, and they're encouraging fellowship churches across the nation to receive offerings, to give, so that our money can go to our missionaries who are in Poland. There are five fellowship Baptist missionaries, in po- six actually, at this point in time. Four of them are resident there in church planting and in ministry to students, and two others have come in from other European nations where they serve. They've come in to form a leadership team, and there's 20 Polish believers who are with them, who are working with, with, a, with a, a large number of Polish churches to settle people from the Ukraine. And so he writes to us concerning this. And one of those missionary couples is Ben and Krista Taylor, who are members of our church. And uh, you, some of you have perhaps read the commu- communiques that have come from Krista in recent days. What I'm reading to you comes from Steve, but it was written on Tuesday of this past week, so it is somewhat dated. But he mentions these individuals who are serving. He talks about these 20 Polish believers who are with them. And these believers have been housing and feeding 60 refugee families per night and feeding another 500 refugees at the train station when they arrive and they care for them there. The Polish police have allowed two Polish pastors to be present when these refugees are taken off the the train and uh, right on the the platform, those Polish pastors are able to be there to greet them as the officials take their documentations and sign them in. The other night, They expected 100 refugees on the train, and over 2,000 showed up. What this team of individuals is doing is they're loading them into vans. They have three vans. One of the vans belongs to Ben and Krista. The other, I think, is a rented van, and the other is a van, van, van that they've purchased, which they will sell once the crisis is over. And so they're loading people into vans. They're also giving people money at that point to purchase bus tickets or train tickets in order that they can go to the areas in Poland or in other places in Eastern Europe where they will be settled and they've arranged everything so that there are people there to greet them when they get off the bus and the train. So it's, a, it's an incredible work that's being done. Ben is right in the thick of it and we need to be praying for them. Steve then goes on to say that our churches, our response has been amazing 
And he's not sure as of Tuesday how much money was raised, but he says it's around the $200,000 mark. I'm sure it's beyond that now. But he also mentions that to do this work, to get people settled, it is costing approximately $8,300 a day. $8,300 a day. That is why we want to take this offering today. And that is why I want to encourage you that you're not only given this benevolent offering now, designate your gift for that, Remember, we also give to support the work of our church here. So you need to designate that your gift is for the Ukraine. There are envelopes in the two tables at the back, offering plates there. You can simply put your gift into there, sign your name on it, give some information. We can give you a tax receipt for these. Or you can simply just give cash if you don't want a receipt. But we're encouraging you to do, to do this today. And I want to encourage you to spread the word that we as a church are involved in this because you may know people in your workplaces who are feeling exactly as you feel and they, they want to help. Friends, they can give through West Highland Church and make sure that the money is getting into the hands of people there who really, truly need it because it's being supervised by excellent leaders who love the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just simply wanted to leave that challenge with, with you today. I trust you will give generously to this very, very needy cause. It's been a wonderful morning, hasn't it? Praise the Lord. There's nothing like baptism day. I said to one brother between the 9 and the 11 o'clock service, how I pray in my heart that the day will come when there will be so many people coming to faith in Christ that we have to baptize people every Sunday morning. Do you agree? Amen. God bless you all. Please, let's enjoy fellowship with each other. The Cornerstone Cafe is open.